It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for breaking news Deshaun Watson has officially requested a trade from the Houston Texans. So what does that mean for the New York Jets? In order to begin to answer that question, we bring in our friend Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com. Andy, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Just another slow day in the Jets offseason. <laughs> That's crazy, right? The Jets offseason is where the action always is. We had the coaching search before that with the general manager search, right? We had Gase pushing out Mike McCagnin, Joe Douglas coming in. So there's been so much crazy stuff going on in the Jets offseasons the last few years. And this just adds to it. So to recap really quickly, we know what the problems were in Houston. Talk to Armando Silguero, who was on the show yesterday to talk about his report that Deshaun Watson wanted out and that he wanted to go to either the Jets or the Dolphins. Adam Clanton came on the show. He's an afternoon drive radio host in Houston. He'll be back on the show tomorrow, by the way. And he told us the entire backstory of everything with Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain and Jack Easterby and Cal McNair and how everything had gone completely wrong there. And we were thinking that it was probably a situation where we would have to wait and see who the new head coach would be before anything would be resolved with Deshaun Watson. But apparently this request was formally made a couple of weeks ago from what we hear. It's just that it became public now. And the working theory is that when David Culley, longtime Baltimore Ravens assistant, was hired as the new head coach of the Houston Texans, Reporters started to reach out to Deshaun Watson's people to ask if this would change anything, at which point Deshaun Watson's people more or less made it known that Watson had already requested a trade. And that's when it became known to everybody what had been known privately among the Houston organization. It sounds like Nick Casario was the one who pushed for Cully. It also sounds like Nick Casario is not going to get a chance to talk to Deshaun Watson and neither will David Culley. Apparently, Watson has made up his mind. He wants out. He does not trust the owner. He does not trust Jack Easterby. And so he's decided that he's ready to turn the page. And now the question becomes, as it has been all along, number one, will Houston actually give in and trade Deshaun Watson or are they going to go another route and play hardball? And we'll talk about what that means. Number two... Is Deshaun Watson willing to dig in his heels and do anything he has to do to, as my friend John Grello would say, hit the eject button? And what that would mean, of course, is threatening to sit out, threatening to retire, threatening to not report to camp. Andy, you and I were talking about how the closest thing to this 
would have been Carson Palmer, who straight up retired from the Cincinnati Bengals when they wouldn't trade him. And then finally, about nine games into the season, right around the trade deadline in 2011, is when the Bengals finally gave up. They had already drafted Andy Dalton, so they decided they were going to move on. And then they shipped Carson Palmer to the Raiders, ended up getting a first and a second round pick. But obviously, they could have gotten more if they had traded him at the beginning of the season. And in the case of the Houston Texans, you'd be looking at a situation where they would need the draft capital now to try and go out and get that quarterback to replace Watson So it would behoove them if they are going to trade Watson to do it before the draft and probably before free agency. So let's really break this down, Andy. Where do the Jets sit here? Where do the Texans sit? Where does Watson sit? Where are we with everything? Well, I think like you said, the first step is what are the Texans going to do? And if they're going to play hardball, this is going to be a long process, but they have every incentive to not play hardball from a uh, just let's talk about their draft situation with their lack of assets in the draft uh, you know, playing hardball. They could end up playing this season without Watson and lessening what they can get for him and having to go through a draft without getting anything. So that doesn't seem to make sense. And from a public relations standpoint, they are already viewed as, uh, they've been revealed as the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL. They make the Jets look like amateurs at dumpster fires, which I never thought I'd say. But, I mean, they are just a hot mess. And if they play that card on, on Watson, they're going to come out looking worse and, and further embed this notion of dysfunction, which is going to make it harder for them to to rebuild. How do you convince you know guys during free agency – to come there if you have nothing to sell. I mean, or not this year, obviously, because they're in cap hell, but I mean, going forward, just how do you recover from that? It, it would be an even longer process. So I think they have every incentive to not play hardball. And, and if you look at Deshaun Watson, you look at kind of the person he is and the values he has, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who is going to, you know, make this request and, and behave the way he's behaving, which is, it's been pretty clear for a couple of weeks now that you've seen the reports coming out that he didn't matter who they, you know, took or hired as a coach. He was not interested in, in returning. This proves that. I mean, clearly the request was made back when those reports were coming out. Um, he's done with them and it doesn't seem like he's going to change his mind. And if, if that requires him to sit out, uh, he seems like, the type of headstrong individual who would do that. So um, it doesn't make sense for the Texans to play hardball, but that doesn't mean they won't because look, look at the situation they're in right now. And if you believe Shannon Sharp, who says he's got sources on this, Deshaun Watson is prepared to ratchet this up to 11, as they would say, and make this as uncomfortable as possible. He's willing to do whatever is needed to get out of Houston. So this becomes a fascinating game of chicken. And when the Jets get involved here, along with other teams, we have to break down how everything impacts them. So let's say that the Texans do ultimately decide that they are willing to move Deshaun Watson. If they don't, 
they have to get into a situation where they now begin threatening to fine him if he doesn't show up and docking him pay and so on and so forth. But if they are willing to trade him, then it becomes who has the draft capital to land Deshaun Watson and satisfy the Texans' demands and who is Deshaun Watson okay with playing for because he has that no-trade clause. Now, ESPN has said that Watson seems open to playing for a whole bunch of teams and it's not widely expected that he's going to tell the Texans either trade me to Team A or it's over, that he's not going to pull a James Harden or anything like that. However, you still have a team having to thread that needle of being able to satisfy both parties. And when you look at that, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of teams that have the ability to do that, that would be acceptable to Watson and be able to meet the demands of the Houston Texans. And my friend Luke Grant put this together based on the draft value chart just to give you an idea of how much ahead of everybody else, just from an asset standpoint, the Jets and the Miami Dolphins seem to be. The Chicago Bears have the 20th overall pick. The Jets pick second, the Dolphins pick third. In order for the Bears to trade from 20 to 2, according to the draft value chart, they would need to give up their 2022 first-round pick and their 2023 first-round pick. So their next three first-round picks are equal to the Jets' number two pick. So just to match that pick, they would have to give up three firsts. And then in order to come anywhere close to what the Jets or Dolphins could offer, they would have to offer several other additional first-round picks because you would assume that the Jets and Dolphins would be willing to top the number two and the number three pick. So any team that isn't picking very high in this draft, it's going to be very hard for them to do this because they would have to ruin their drafts by getting rid of all their high-value draft capital over the next couple of years and or include excellent young players that are cheap because Andy as we were talking about before we started recording the Texans are up against the cap so any young player they get they're going to want somebody that's inexpensive we talked about Xavier Howard for example who is one of the best cornerbacks in the league he's 27 so he's not old but he makes a lot of money so Houston couldn't absorb him if you were to get young players, you would be looking at somebody like, and I hope this isn't somebody that gets involved in a deal, but Quinn and Williams, somebody of that magnitude. Now, it could also mean somebody who's not quite as high on that level, maybe someone like Denzel Mims, and you could scour the Dolphins roster and other teams' rosters for this. But there's a reason why, if you look at the Vegas betting odds, the Jets and the Dolphins are so high. It's because of what I just said in terms of being able to placate the Texans, but also because of the reports that we've heard that Deshaun Watson seems to prefer to play for the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins. And with the Jets, we've heard over and over again that the two big reasons that he would want to go to the Jets is because A, he really likes Robert Sala. Apparently, people that he trusts have told him that Sala would be very good for his career. And he likes the idea of being the face of a New York franchise and understands the marketing opportunities that would bring. Additionally, Andy, you have to believe that there are players, Allen Robinson would probably be one of them, who are going to be free agents, who know that the Jets have cap space, who are whispering in Watson's ear, listen, you go to the Jets... I'm right behind you. 
So this becomes a very complex issue. But as of right now, you would have to say that barring some team going crazy and being willing to give up their next six first round picks or some crazy combination of firsts and seconds and tearing apart their drafts for the next couple of years, it's not that one of those teams couldn't emerge and grab Watson with a crazy offer. It's that just looking at the landscape, the Jets and the Dolphins seem to be uniquely positioned to make a move if the Texans end up being willing to trade Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, I think both those teams have a significant leg up just because of the amount of draft capital they have in terms of first-round picks over the next two years. And the Jets, with four picks in the next two years, have an an edge over the Dolphins even. But um, it's a tricky situation because we haven't seen a trade like this in modern NFL history where Deshaun Watson, a player who is clearly one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the league has been traded. It just hasn't happened. So I don't think you can rule out the possibility of, um, of a crazy offer, but, but Watson does have some control over where he goes and, and he has some leverage, but probably not as much as we think just because of what you mentioned earlier, which was the penalties that the Texans can impose. So say Watson decides that he only wants to go to the Jets or Dolphins. Um, He can't really limit it to those two teams just because, and like you said, the the reporting out there isn't that he would, but just in this hypothetical situation, he couldn't really limit it because the Texans could hold out fines over, over him and, you know, uh, forfeiture of his prorated salary bonus, which is I think 5.2 million for next year. So, um, I mean, basically, the fines could start during training camp, uh, or even if if mandatory minicamp happens in the spring. I think that's about a hundred thousand, and then if he misses the workouts before camp, another five hundred thousand dollar fine, um, and then fifty fifty thousand dollars for each day of training camp, uh, which could go up to about one point five million. And and I got these numbers from OverTheCap.com, by the way. Just want to give them credit, and then. Um, if, it, if it got into the regular season, you're talking about $600,000 a game, somewhere in that in that area. And and signing bonus was $5.4 million. Uh, I think they could impose uh, 1.35 for missing camp, which is 25%, another 1.35 for missing week one. And then from there, I believe um, it gets split up into the, the second half of it gets split up over the first five games of the regular season. So, um he can he can't really dictate everything i mean he has definitely enough leverage to get himself traded to where it's it's not in the texans best interest to keep him at a certain point which sounds crazy but it's just because it seems that he's so committed to leaving but but they have some leverage there to make him go to a team that maybe isn't his top choice so so it is not totally a jets dolphins race but like you said i think they have the, the assets to get the job done. And I'd also like to point out that as someone who criticized Joe Douglas for, for maybe not spending as much as he should have or, or making some of the moves, being as aggressive as he should have, uh, he, you got to give him credit for positioning the Jets in this where they're at now. I mean, they are in a good spot here where this is why you do that. This is why 
you keep that cap space. This is why you make a trade like the one they made for Jamal Adams and get absolutely the most you can out of it because it positions you to be able to be a front runner if something like this happens. And no one could have ever imagined this happening six months ago, eight months ago when Watson signed that extension. But here we are, and and the Jets have a realistic chance to get the quarterback that they've been looking for since Joe Namath walked off the field at, at Shea Stadium for the final time in 1976. They, they finally have a chance, a realistic chance to do it. There's a long way to go, but um, they're there because Douglas put them in that position. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Andy, I've got to ask you, because this is something that a lot of people have been wondering about, myself included. What do you think Joe Douglas and company are thinking right now? I'm sure they're going to be in on this if Watson officially becomes available. The question becomes, how far are they willing to go to get this done? Are they going to have the get-him-at-all-costs mentality, especially knowing that the other team that, as we said, is uniquely positioned to get Watson is the Miami Dolphins, who they would have to face two times a year. So if they don't get Watson, the other team that would be likely to get him is a team that could punish them for the next 10 to 15 years with Watson at quarterback. And then you'd be in a situation where you'd have Watson on one team, Allen on another, and you're looking at a replay of what Jets fans saw in the 80s and the early 90s with Jim Kelly on the Bills and Dan Marino on the Miami Dolphins. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that Josh Allen is Jim Kelly or that Watson is Dan Marino, but you get where I'm going with this. If you look at everything involved, including cap space, draft picks, where Watson seems to be willing to go, the Jets have the most to offer. They have the most cap space. They have the most draft picks. And so... If the Jets really want Deshaun Watson, they have the ability to outbid everybody. So it seems to me that if they want Watson and he becomes officially available, the Texans give in to his trade request and say, we will trade him to the highest bidder. Theoretically, the Jets could outbid anybody by a comfortable margin if they wanted to. Do you think that they are going to go into this if he becomes available with the mentality that they will not let anybody else get him, that they will get him at all costs, within reason, of course. I'm not saying they're going to give up 10 first-round picks, but that the general mentality will be that they want this guy for all the reasons you just said, and many more, including what a great guy he is on top of everything, that they'd be willing to make sure they outbid everybody else Or are they going to go into this saying, let's play a little poker here, let's see what we can do, and if we don't get a deal that we like, we'll draft somebody at number two, or we'll trade for somebody else, or we'll stick with Sam Darnold. Is this going to be an all-hands-on-deck type of situation, or are they going to play it cool and see where the chips fall and not necessarily have their heart set on getting to Sean Watson? How do you think this plays out internally with the Jets? if Watson officially becomes available? So it's very hard to say just because Joe Douglas is a relatively new general manager and we're still kind of learning uh, how he operates. It's really hard to predict. I mean, here's what we know is that he doesn't like overpaying uh, free agents clearly. And, and he doesn't like, he's not the kind of guy who's going to get, you know, taken in a deal. But I think, 
you kind of got to throw a lot of things out the window in this situation because, like I said before, it's just not a situation that happens. It, it just – where a top-five quarterback, a, a sure thing is available to you. So I, I think – it's very hard to predict just because of that. This is not a situation that anyone's really ever been in. And personally, I think that they should be willing to do anything within reason that they can. So I, I wouldn't even blink at four first round picks. Uh, I don't think that's a tough, a tough choice. Like you, you make the deal. It, it, it's not what you want, um, but you make the deal. And then the Dolphins being, in there, I mean, you don't want Quinn and Williams to be part of part of the deal. But if they're insisting, you're you're obviously not sending four round four first round picks at that point. But um, you know, because Quinnen has proven that he's on the right trajectory. He's a number three pick. You know, just two years ago, um, he has high value. You'd have to think like a top five pick type value. So if you're sending the two. And Quinn and Williams, you got to feel like that right there is almost the equivalent of, of uh, four first round picks. Then do you throw in another another first rounder? I mean, you might. It's it's really tough. I mean, ideally they could do it without, you know, hampering, blowing up their drafts for the next several years, and giving throwing Quinn and Williams in the deal. I, I I think that would be a mistake. I don't think that he would do that. Um, it's a tough, it's a really tough call because how much is it worth to get the kind of quarterback you've been looking for for so, for so long? You know, how, how much is that worth to, to, to get the guy that you've never been able to get in the history of your franchise since the last one? And, and it's been, you know, almost 50 years. So it's, it's really tough. I would take solace in the fact that if you look at, what Joe Douglas has done in trades in his time with the Jets, it's hard to find one that he's lost. He seems to be really good at maneuvering and getting the most out of deals and getting deals that appear to be deals that the Jets have won. He seems to be really good at operating within the space of other NFL general managers. And that shouldn't be surprising given his long history in the, in the league and, and the teams that he was with before. So I think that should give Jets fans confidence that he's going to balance this correctly and, and get the best deal for them because it seems to be out of everything he's done so far, the strength of, of him as a general manager. So I would feel good about that, but it's really hard to predict what it's going to be take because there's going to be a bidding war. You don't know if some team is going to come in and, and throw their entire draft this year at, at Watson. I mean, I, that sounds crazy, but I don't think it's totally off the table just because this is so unprecedented. So it's going to be fascinating, hard to predict. And uh, I think whatever the outcome is, it's going to be a pretty remarkable deal and, and one that will be remembered for a long time because whatever team lands Watson, it's going to impact them in a big way. One thing I think it's worth noting, Andy, is that Joe Douglas has been in the position of seller in all of these trades that he's made so far with the New York Jets. 
He hasn't been a buyer, at least not in a high-profile deal. Yeah, he went and traded for Quincy Wilson, but we're talking about the major trades that he's made here. And the Jets themselves have never really been a buyer when you're talking about an elite type of talent like this. Usually when it's an elite talent, they're on the trading end. They're trading John Abraham. They're trading Keyshawn Johnson. They're trading Darrell Revis. So this would sort of be unprecedented in all kinds of ways for the Jets. The only time that they've been a buyer of elite talent and given up a lot of draft picks to get an elite talent was Bill Parcells, who isn't even a player, of course. He's a Hall of Fame coach. So this would be very different. And as far as Joe Douglas and his philosophy, everybody knows that he's a guy that likes his draft picks and he likes to build through the draft. But Andy, I think it's very important to understand that a big part of the reason why so many of these general managers are big on building through the draft is because you can't get a player like Deshaun Watson any other way. You can't sign him as a free agent and you can't trade for him. So if he gets traded, this would be the first time that a 25-year-old proven elite quarterback would be available. And so it's a very different situation than what people are used to. Even somebody like Matthew Stafford, who I like a lot and would be happy to see as a New York Jet, is 32 years old. So while that would be trading a really good quarterback, it's not trading an elite quarterback at the peak of his powers at 25 years old. So that's why these general managers will build through the draft because you cannot get elite players in their prime at a position like quarterback any other way. So this would be unprecedented in so many ways in terms of an elite quarterback at that age being dealt if it happens, in terms of the Jets being buyers of an elite talent like that, and in terms of Joe Douglas negotiating on the other side instead of negotiating to trade an elite talent for picks this would be negotiating to trade picks for the elite talent so so many fascinating things that are in play here for the Jets Andy oh absolutely and like I said it's just it makes it so hard to understand or 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 project really what is going to happen uh because it's unprecedented for the Jets. It's it's unprecedented really in the NFL to have this kind of guy, like you said, available. So I think everything's on the table. Um, I know that mentioning Quinnen will probably upset some fans, but I just, you know, realistically that, that is on the table. There is no untouchable player when you're trying to land a top five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it just, they don't become available like this and you have to start thinking about things in a different way. And I, and um, I think the Jets should do everything possible to avoid putting Quinn in, in the deal, just because I think their defense can take a huge leap next year with, with him there. And if they add, you know, an edge rusher or something, it would be a painful uh, departure. But again, when you're talking about, uh, Deshaun Watson. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about Deshaun Watson in September week one, wearing a Jets uniform and and going out and trying to win games for them. I mean, think about what that is going to feel like and look like. And then you have, you start to understand why that might in the end be necessary. And then also think about if you don't do that and Quinnen was the difference, 
think about what it's going to feel like to see Deshaun Watson playing for the Dolphins for the next 10 years, uh, twice a year and, and, and what that could look like and feel like and, and be like. So it's the kind of trade that's going to make us speculate on things and think about things that we never would have thought about uh, just a few weeks ago. And I'll say this, Andy, and I keep saying if, because until it happens, I won't actually believe it. But if Watson actually does become available and does get traded, it literally would be a once in a lifetime opportunity. Because as we said, uncharted territory, the only quarterback in his prime that was this good that was ever traded was traded before the merger, Fran Tarkenton. And as you and I talked about before we started recording, the compensation for that was enormous. And that was when the quarterback position meant far less than it does right now. So if Watson becomes available, like I said, this is a unique, special opportunity that comes along literally once in a lifetime. And I hope that if it happens, that the Jets do everything they can to take advantage of it. Andy Vasquez, covering the Jets for NorthJersey.com. Thanks so much for coming on for this breaking news podcast. Really appreciate it. I'm sure you're going to have a ton of stuff up about Deshaun Watson and a bunch of other things over at NorthJersey.com. So what do you got cooking over there? Yeah, I'm definitely delving into the Watson situation. On Friday morning, uh, head over to NorthJersey.com. I have... A post in the works about basically the three big factors that kind of need to get figured out before any deal for Watson can happen. And, and it involves obviously, you know, what are the Texans going to do? Where does Watson want to go? And then the compensation. So um, I delve deep into that and kind of talk about what to expect and, and what the Texans can do to kind of keep him. If, if, there is any hope of that happening, but, and why I, I really don't see that happening. And, and then kind of go from there on, on what would happen next. But I think it's going to be a process that, you know, it's going to take a little while to happen just because of everything that's involved. So, and obviously we'll stay on top of it going forward. I think, you know, a, a lot of focus is going to shift the Super Bowl next week, but after that, I mean, this is going to be the biggest story in the NFL until, until it happens or, the next step is uh, realized. So we're, we're going to stay on top of that. And you can definitely check out all that coverage at NorthJersey.com and follow me on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez for uh, obviously more updates. That's another key component that you just brought up, Andy. How long does this take to get resolved? Does he get traded relatively quickly? Does it take a while? Do the Texans dig in their heels and call his bluff and demand that he show up to training camp and then start finding him if he doesn't? These are all questions that we're going to find out the answers to over the next couple of weeks and months. Anything could happen at any time. It's just impossible to know because even though a trade can't technically be finalized until the start of the new league year in mid-March, obviously a handshake agreement could happen. So well worth keeping your eyes open for whatever could come over the next couple of months. And there are so many different outcomes that we could see happen during that time. It is going to be wild from now until this gets resolved. So make sure that you're following Andy on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez and reading his work at NorthJersey.com. 
If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com. <laughs>